There has been a very interesting resurgence in interest in the group of seven in recent weeks, maybe recent months. And this is not all that surprising. It is very clearly traceable. It goes back to a sudden surge of interest by Steve Martin, the actor and the comedian. That's the, Everyone is directing this back to him, that he has suddenly discovered their work. He has take he has been the curator if you will of a tour an exhibition of some of the work that has been shown in the United States introducing Americans to the group of 7 who you know wouldn't have necessarily known about it and has been going to great lengths to try and make their work at least some of their work known what's really interesting about this is the group of 7 of course got going and was was really bursting onto the scene back around the time of the First World War. They were in the, I mean, A.Y. Jackson, one of the members of the Group of Seven, was in the World War I. He, he fought in World War I. And their work from back then until they began dying off and stopped working really changed how Canadians saw their country, how we saw our country, those of that generation. They drew vast and epic and colorful landscapes. And remember, this is this is before television, before we had fantastic color cameras and color films. So this stuff was was new. Most people didn't get up to the shores of Lake Superior or to Algoma or all these places where you would see this kind of amazing landscape in the Canadian Shield. So they brought part of the greatness of Canada to people who otherwise would really never have seen it. But the question is, times have certainly changed. Technology has changed. Media has changed. Are the group of seven, is the group of seven still relevant to us today? Well, joining me to try and answer this question, Brian Wiley is a former high school teacher of some renown. His students still rave about him long after he has retired from the teaching profession, but now he lectures on books and on the arts and on a variety of other things. And uh, he jo- and we had him, you may remember, Brian, he was on, on Shakespeare's 400th birthday. He did a fantastic job about that, and a number of people said how well he had done, so we said, let's bring him back and talk about this. He joins me now. Brian, Ryan, how are you tonight? Pretty good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Let's let's go right to the beginning of the Steve Martin part of this, because I think that's kind of really where this story takes off right now, because the group of seven have been around forever. How did Steve Martin, of all people, get interested in this all of a sudden and start this, we'll use the word renaissance, in, in this group? Well, from what I understand, it was all a big mistake. He viewed a a certain work that he thought was by a favorite painter of his called Rockwell Kent. And the person who was showing the work said, no, 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 that's not Rockwell Kent, that's Lauren Harris. And uh, Steve really started to argue that, no, 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 it's Rockwell Kent. And he found out, of course, it was Lauren Harris, knew nothing about Lauren Harris, and mistook him for his favorite painter, so obviously had to start researching, started coming up to Canada, meeting all kinds of important people in the art world, uh, to discover Lauren Harris. And uh, he, uh, Steve Martin himself is a great collector of art, and he's extremely knowledgeable. So he had a bit of a foot in to the AGO in Toronto, and even to the art gallery then here in Hamilton. And he hobnobbed with the big curators, and they were thrilled that he was interested. And when this project came about, uh, it was actually the curator of the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles that approached Steve Martin and said, would you curate a show? Um, That 
particular museum uh, is in the habit of using uh, celebrities to host and curate shows. And so the curator there thought this would be like a good a good idea. And she herself became very, very interested in Lauren Harris through Steve. And then uh, it spread up here to Canada. And we have the situation as we have it today. Is this then a case where he became a fan of the group of seven, or did he become a fan of Lauren Harris no, specifically? No, it's, Har- it's Lauren Harris, I think. And uh, you can't uh, study uh, or deal with Lauren Harris, of course, without getting involved in the rest of the group of seven. But as far as I can see, all of, the, uh, all of his talk, all of his writing currently about this show deals with uh, Lauren Harris. He does talk highly, too, about A.Y. Jackson and does in passing mention several of the other group of sevens, but I don't get a sense of, certainly not a sense of an intimate knowledge of them or a desire in his part. I heard Steve interviewed a couple weeks ago at the Roy Thompson Hall, and the curator of the art gallery in Ontario asked him, did he have any plans to, quote, quote, discover any of the other group of seven, and he quite categorically said no. So, uh, so I just don't think he's he's that familiar or that drawn to them. So Brian, I'm not you're not his official spokesman, but what you know their work. So what is it about Lauren Harris? His work is different from the other group of seven members. How is it different? It's very different. It it didn't start off being different. He he actually went through what could be considered five different artistic periods. And you know what? Any artist would be happy to have claimed one of those artistic periods as their sort of forte. But he went through five. He was always searching. He came from a very, very religious background. Uh, his family was a uh, very strict Baptist. Now, he discarded official religion, but he... Uh, was always a very, very spiritual man, always in search of something. And it was, it was through nature that he began to sense there was a presence, there was a force, there was a unifying world life force, if you will, that permeated nature. And it seems that in the early periods he was trying to capture that. It wasn't until he got to Lake Superior that Lake Superior really hit him like a ton of bricks uh, because of its particular nature. He also at that time was uh, facing two very, very important personal uh, events in his life. His brother died in World War One, and as a result, uh, Lauren had a nervous breakdown. Lauren was in was was enlisted as well, but never served. And Tom Thompson, who is not a group of seven member, but certainly uh, connected to the group of seven, he died before the group of seven was officially formed. And uh, Tom Thompson's death was a great shock and blow to Lauren Harris. And so at that time, those two events really push him to this searching for something much deeper. And it was in the particular stark landscape of uh, Lake Superior and then later on in the Arctic uh, and in the Rockies uh, that uh, really produced the kind of work that now people who know Lauren Harris immediately associate with his work. Well, one of the interesting things about it, and for people who know anything about the Group of Seven, you could, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you think that I'm, I'm way off base here, you could probably confuse many of the other group of seven members' paintings for each other's in, in, in certain times. I don't think you would confuse Lauren Harris's paintings with the others. No, I think you're right. I think that's absolutely right. In fact, in some of the lectures I've given, I've put that a bit to the test, and people 
they they will say it's a group of seven, but they have no idea who it is. I used to actually, uh, the way I start my lectures is I show the seven dwarfs and ask them to name the seven dwarfs. <laughs> and then I show the seven, group of seven, and ask them. And they always score very highly with seven dwarfs, but not the group of seven. So that shows you, even among Canadians, uh, where they stand in general knowledge. Why did they then, when you go back, and I mean, I mentioned a few things at the top, and I don't know if that's accurate. It seems to me it might be, but why did they matter so much a generation even ago, or two generations ago. Why did they have such an impact? Well, before that time, there was really nothing that could be considered Canadian painting. And in fact, Lauren Harris, uh, he, he came from a very wealthy background. He had the Grand Tour of Europe. He studied in Berlin at a time when art in Europe was really taking off. Uh, you have to remember, uh, the, the Impressionists had just, it was, it was past the Impressionist age and the post-Impressionist age, but those people were making a really great stand over there. And what we would call modern art hadn't, hadn't really invaded North America yet. That took place in uh, 1921 when there was a great exhibition in New York uh, at the Armories ex- exhibit in New York City. So uh, what I'm getting at here is that these artists, the Group of Seven, are, before they became the Group of Seven, they were experienced and some of them had trained and they were taught the quote-quote classics and there were great landscape painter traditions before the Group of Seven. But like all artists, they want to create their own style. And like most artists, they will be a bit connected, some more than others, to the national landscape. Well, with the Canadians, there was this desire to create their own style, and there was a desire to come to grips and to express the Canadian uh, landscape, which is really predominant. Most people say really form what Canada and Canadians are. So I think that was the double to provide to, to have a new artistic style and to really come to grips with with Canada uh, itself. So it was an artistic and a national thing, and you put those two together, and that's what adds up to the group of seven. And yet, what what I find interesting also about this is, and I didn't realize this until recently, when they were first painting, when they were first putting their works on display, they oftentimes were very heavily panned. They were critically ripped a lot of the time for their work. They were not the beloved group that we think of now. No, and you know know where they had to go to get recognized? There was a great exhibition in London at Wembley Stadium, and the Brits loved the group of seven. And the Canadians then said, oh, we better take a second look at this. <laughs> Just exactly. How often does that happen, how doesn't often it? often that happens with all our greats. They, they get discovered somewhere else, usually in the U.S. And yeah, one of the critics uh, called them the hot mush school. Exactly. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah. And, and oh, no, they were, they were really ripped apart. So do they then hold the place in our culture that we would, uh, I mean, obviously they are painters, but in the same sort of point of discussion as Pierre Burton or Gordon Lightfoot or any of the other artists that we would look at and say, those are distinctly Canadian. Is that sort of where they then fall? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. And, and even with the Pierre Burton, there aren't too many of those you would name in that list. Or the Gord Lightfoots, you know, you got maybe Joni Mitchell, you got Leonard Cohen. We got we got lots to be proud of, but but it, again, a lot of a lot of Americans think Leonard Cohen is American. A lot of Americans think Margaret Atwood is one of their great uh, novelists. 
because they were, again, discovered there. We don't make enough of our greats. But yes, when it comes to our artists, the group of seven represents the best of Canada, whatever that might mean. Now, on a global scene, I'm afraid that doesn't mean a lot. Well, clearly not, because it took Steve Martin, until, and, and as you say, a great art lover, to discover them quite by accident. Yeah. So clearly they are, th- their reach has not extended necessarily far beyond our borders. No. But they, they do, what's interesting also, they do still hold a fascination for Canadians. Even though, Brian, that people may not necessarily know a ton about them, I find it hard to believe that too many people who are adults would never have heard of the Group of Seven. No, they would have. They would have heard of them, but as a group, as I said, don't try and separate them. Don't try and distinguish their work. Uh, they they would probably, if if you if you if you gave them a, a little quiz and said, it's kind of like Jeopardy. You don't have to know anything about the topic. There are enough clues in the question for you to get the right answer. So if you were to show a person a piece of art and say, you know, this represents. This is Canadian art among the best. Who do you think painted this? I'm sure most of them would say probably the group of seven. And and you might be, uh, you know, that might be a good enough answer. Don't ask them to name the painter. That would be ho- a pretty ba- that'd be pretty hopeless. But I'm sure they would. They know enough. They know that they're part of our heritage. They know when it comes to art. Oh, the answer must be the group of seven. Yeah, it, it probably uh, would be. If all else fails, guess group of seven. If it's a Canadian painting question. So what has happened now as a result of Steve Martin's interest in this? Because there are a lot of people around the country. Well, I mean, obviously the biggest collection would be at the McMichael Gallery or somewhere like that. But there are people around the country who would buy and trade in Group of Seven paintings. What's happened to the value of them? Has, has Steve Martin's interest oh, done anything? Well, the, the, I think one of the highest paid prices for a Lauren Harris before last October, when the exhibit opened in Los Angeles, was uh, around the $2 million mark. They sold one in November, a month after the Steve Martin exhibition, and it was $4 million. And so they immediately started calling it the, the Steve Martin effect. Virtually, the Lauren Harris works uh, doubled in price. Anyone who owns one is going to be happy about that, I'm sure. Uh, Brian Wiley, really appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for doing this. Great chatting. You're welcome.